All right. Hi, I'm Amelia. And I'm Sophie. And welcome to So Ma, So Good, a Fruits Basket reboot podcast. Here we talk about the second season of the Fruits Basket reboot. We try and keep it spoiler-free, but sometimes we slip up. So please check the episode description for timestamps as well as for content warnings. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, Please introduce yourself. Hi. (laughs) Uh, I am Adri. um, And I think about fruits basket a lot and, uh, <laughs> do a lot of fruits basket related things online <laughs> yeah so, it. so we asked adri onto the podcast because she knows about film like really knows about film and amelia and Supposedly. i don't and we also know she has a lot of opinions <laughs> about the <laughs> filmmaking of the reboot which we do too but you have more of a technical background uh, than us. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, first, thank you very much for welcoming my rancid, rancid vibes onto your podcast. And uh, <laughs> I uh, bitched a lot on Twitter, and then Sophie saw it and was like, hey, you should talk about these things here. And I'm g- glad to do it. Um, but yeah, I, um, I've got some, I've got some background in film. I, um, it was, I was a Japanese language major in college and then minored in film. My thesis focused on Japanese avant-garde film and then took a year off, did a bunch of stuff, went to film school, and then just kept doing film stuff from there. So I, I hope that qualifies me to be as annoying as I have been on Twitter at least a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I I think it's we've we've heard we've already talked a little bit about like some of your various opinions on the adaptation and it's really interesting to hear like the reasons behind why things don't work for me because like I have no technical knowledge at all in film Sophie is not a film major but knows more about like entertainment and how you set up things so it looks good and the story gets across I am just like a jackass i i don't know anything <laughs> <laughs> but it, i still experience things and i'm a consumer of anime and other things and so it's fun to be like huh this didn't really work for me i don't know why i can't articulate that but it's fun to hear you come in and say like oh this didn't work because of this this and this so that's why she's here is to take me take things like me going, hmm, this didn't really slap, and turn it into words that make sense. We can only hope. <laughs> but yeah, that's actually, that's what I hear a lot from people too, is that um, I, I've, I feel like I've seen a lot of people in the fandom be like, um, some, something feels off, and I like just don't know why, or something feels wrong, and I, I don't, I don't know what it is that's bothering me. I don't know what it is that's like getting to be here or not getting to me. And and then I come in and I'm like, well, here's why. And then I, <laughs> I'm annoying on Twitter about it. But at least some people are able to get something out of it. So I'm, I'm happy for that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So we wanted to start. We have a few categories because I have to be extremely organized about everything at all times. Um, and the first thing that we wanted to talk about that is, like, really Adri's area of expertise that, like, neither Amelia nor I know jackshit about is the, like, adaptation choices and how they chose to adapt things from the manga into the anime. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so the thing that I've been noticing the most with the anime is that it seems to be trying to make almost a carbon copy of the manga. Like it's trying to adapt it completely to the letter. Um, if you go back and I actually, I did this today, I rewatched some scenes and I went back and I was watching the scene as I was reading along in the manga. Um, it's kind of crazy how close they try and keep it to what is happening exactly <laughs> in the panels. And that isn't, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. And I know that was like a, that's a big complaint that a lot of people have about the 2001 anime. And I, I even think that Takaya probably didn't, that was one of the reasons she didn't like the 2001 anime too, was how much they deviated from her vision and from her wishes. Um, but the problem is, is that when you try and adapt things from the manga into the anime without translating it properly between the two mediums, it's not going to perfectly fit into film. It, they're just, it, manga and anime are just two very different pieces of media. Um, and I think that's like, that's kind of like the first thing that I kind of try and like understand, like when I'm watching this is like, it's not quite, um, I wish that the direction of the anime had, had taken like more creative liberty with itself. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the problem that I'm having. And it gets down to very technical things. Um, not even just like, um, you know, trying to adapt everything bit by bit by bit by bit. But when you even go and look into like technical aspects of trying to kind of copy paste from the manga into the anime, um, things can get very weird and feel very strange and very disorienting. Um, I know this is one that I've talked about before with you guys, but, um, I go crazy for all the wide shots <laughs> that are in this anime. They like I want to lose it. Like I just they, there's so many wide shots that are in this anime and the problem with these wide shots is that they do not serve to give the information that they are supposed to like you would in in normal filmmaking. Um and that's because the purpose of wide shots, the purpose of how they relay information um, in manga, in any manga and in anime is going to be very different. So, okay. Um, say with like a wide shot, there's is obviously going to be some overlap in what kind of information is being relayed. You're going to establish your location. You're going to establish what characters are going to be in the scene. Um, it's a good way to show like movement. It's a good way to show like if there's a lot of stuff going on all at once, you're definitely, it's definitely gonna be good to be like showing action and capturing action and especially with like big flailing movements or anything like that. But the thing is, is that a lot of times in manga when you see a wide shot, it actually encourages like better flow of dialogue. <laughs> And it encourages kind of this, it, it gives you this idea of being like kind of snappier and kind of like trying to move the scene along. Um, 
so when you get a wide shot, like you see like in when you're reading along, you'll see like six different characters and they'll all have like a speech bubble, speech bubble, speech bubble, speech bubble, and you can read through it and it'll be totally cool. But when you have a wide shot in an anime and you do that, you have to wait for everyone to speak and it starts to get very dull because you don't know where to put your focus onto unless your focus is being directed one way or another. So yeah, so like with an anime, like, or any kind of film, a wide shot can't serve the purpose of moving things along. That's only going to happen in editing. That's only going to happen when you change up your shots. You, it's actually very strange to keep a lot of dialogue in wide shots because a lot of times the way to kind of take air out of a scene is to cut in and to keep the conversation going and to move to this person who's talking and then this person who's talking and then this person who's talking. And Fruits Basket is a big ensemble thing, you know? So obviously there's going to be a lot of scenes with a lot of characters, um, but even so a wide shot isn't necessarily going to be the best way to encourage kind of fast moving information. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, okay, so take, for example, I'm going to say almost any scene with the student council this season. Mm -hmm. yep. The problem is, is that we keep seeing the student council in these big wide shots. And you'll notice, too, that they kind of try and keep all the action and everything framed into one big wide shot. And then they're all kind of talking to each other. And... The scenes with the student council, I have noticed, actually have the least amount of shots in them, which is not necessarily a good thing in film. That means that it's dragging on. That means that we're not cutting. That means that we're not getting those same comedic beats that we would, like mm. if we were just kind of cutting to one person, then to another, then to another, then to another, especially because there is so much funny dialogue happening between them. And that's not necessarily going to be the same thing like if you are reading the manga and you know there's chaos going on and the best way to show that chaos is to show all of them all at the same time those like jaggy speech bubbles that show that they're yelling and all that that's going to show that's going to give you the sense of chaos and quick movement and you know the over being very overwhelmed and yeah that's just not something that's going to happen the other way around right yeah that makes sense. Mm. And not something I thought about. <laughs> yeah. It's not something I caught at all. But as soon as you say it, I'm like, yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. Correct. <laughs> uh. Well, that it, yeah. you, what you talking was making me think about is the scene in the banquet. Um, like when they're having the banquet. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. When like a bunch of people are having a conversation over to the side and then Yuki and Akito are having a different conversation in the same shot. But I hadn't thought of it when I was watching it. Yeah. yeah. And that scene is also very strange, too, just because I don't remember that being like kind of how it was choreographed even in the manga. It was weird. Uh, I they, the, that whole scene was fucking weird. <laughs> we beefed about that scene. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And the problem, too, is that when you try and keep things all framed in those one, those big wide shots, um, there's kind of an issue of, like, especially in these particular wides, is, is that there's not really good focus points in any of these big wide shots mm -hmm. to kind of tell you where you're supposed to be looking. It's like you have to drag information 
out of <laughs> out of these shots. You have to like search for it. You have to go on a scavenger hunt for it rather than letting it just be presented to you, which is how filmmaking should work. You know, it's not necessarily how you feel when you're reading manga. You know, you get to just enjoy big ensemble shots. If you notice something you do and not, that's great. But sometimes, you know, that's like that's every media has to prioritize what's important, you know, and in manga, not every single character in every single panel is going to have the same importance as someone else who's delivering a, a punchier joke or something. And it's it's the same thing in film. You We have to know where our eye is supposed to go. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. <laughs> but no, that's why I like, like, the wide shots I do like are the ones that are, like, I don't know if this is cheesy of me, but I like it when they're centered. When there are people, stand like, standing in the mm -hmm. center or sitting in the center and there's a lot of space um, on either side of them. Like, I like that. Or, mm. yeah, like, we there's some wide shots in Fruits Basket that I, like, felt, like, worked really well. And it's a lot of them are, like, ones where it's, like, Yuki sitting in the corner of a room or Akito, mm. like, lying on a floor. And it's to, like, emphasize how small they are. And I'm like, okay, this, like, gives a sense of, like... Uh, I don't know, quiet, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, I know, no technical words, but it like it works better for me in these kind of like more moody scenes where we're establishing a sort of sense of solitude and stuff than mm -hmm. it does in these like big sort of like everyone's talking and yelling and it's jokes time. Because uh, mm -hmm. then it's just like you're looking at a room of people just talk. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or like, like when they're actually utilizing negative space. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm thinking of like the, the like uh, scene of Rin and Shigure in Shigure's room when Shigure crosses to the other side and they're on opposite sides and there's a bunch of space between them. Like that kind of thing where it works better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, there are times, and this is the thing, wide shots by themselves are not bad shots. Like wide shots are very useful in film. Like the way that kind of standard cinematography kind of goes, I mean, don't like, I'm going to, this is a very simplified version of kind of a very technical form that even I am not super, you know, proficient in, but generally how it goes is that you start a scene wider because that way you can establish the location, you can establish who's here, you can establish what's happening. And then as the scene goes on, you get a little bit closer and you get a little bit closer and you get a little bit closer. Um, it doesn't mean that once you get close, you can't pull back a little bit, but it is going to be a little bit strange if, you know, once you get a little bit closer to the emotional core of a scene, especially dramatic scenes, um, if you're going to go into like a close up or go into like a medium shot and then cut on back to a wide. And keep doing that over and over and over again, which some scenes do too. <laughs> but but there are but wide shots are great for showing atmosphere, and they're great for showing distance, and they're great for showing perspective, and they're great for kind of giving you new information about the world too. And that those are things that we really really need wide shots for. The problem is when wide shots don't give us new information mm. and they're kind of there just to be there and this actually i think also goes to another kind of problem with how things are adapted sometimes um into the anime because um 
that's kind of that's again that's like very basic cinematography rules and stuff like that and i think that the wide shots that you guys are talking about are wide shots that are actually well placed when you know in the cine cinematographical formula or whatever um but this was actually something that i was realizing when um i was reading through the manga today and trying to follow along with certain scenes the biggest thing that i guess the different the biggest difference between the anime an anime and a manga no matter what is that in a manga you can show full body shots without having any extra negative space you can get rid of any information that we don't need in a frame and sometimes a lot of negative space is good and it can be very informative but a lot of times if you're gonna give someone a full body shot especially in an anime that doesn't have like super, super detailed animation, you're going to kind of wash out the face a little bit. And I also kind of noticed while reading the manga is that there aren't necessarily, there isn't necessarily a formula for like, when do we go into this close up? When do we get in closer to these characters? When we're reading manga, we're kind of technically always close to the characters. We're always looking at their faces. And even if you're like reading manga, you could like hold the book closer to you or <laughs> further away from you. Like you have so much control when you're reading a manga um, and when you're reading any any volume, like you can kind of zoom in and be like, aha, I really like that little shot there or some, something like that. You know, you get the nice full page spreads of close ups and things like that when you know you get those really serious punchy moments but in general especially with takaya because she uses so much of the page you're kind of staying close with the characters the entire time um but that's kind of hard to convey in anime because what'll happen is that like say you're taking a very emotional scene and we have this formula where you go kind of wide to close and by the end of the emotional scene, we should be close with them. We should be staying with them. We should be kind of closer in their face. With the manga, that's kind of difficult to do because when you're having these super long dialogues, especially super long kind of one-sided dialogues, like whenever Akito talks to any of the Zodiacs, she's going on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> and then she's talking for ages. And then someone else is thinking their own internal monologue for ages. And then it just goes like back and forth of like these very, very long, like you can't put that in one close up right. and then put a speech bubble that's like longer than someone's like torso. <laughs> and so they have to find ways to keep things dynamic. So if you look at like, okay, look at the scene with like, Kyo and Akito at the beach house. Mm -hmm. I reread that in the manga. And they actually, I feel like they adapted it very closely. And it was one of the worst scenes in the anime for me. <laughs> <laughs> because when you're reading the manga, like you're seeing, it's like it changes as they talk. Like you see Kyo's profile and you see the back of his head. And then you see like his, you know, his fist that's all curled up. And then you see his eyes and then you see his mouth and then you see his face. And then, you know, as... Akito is talking and all this sort of stuff. And that's good because we need to be reminded in the manga that things are moving, that things are happening, that, you know, we're getting, we're moving forward. There's movement in this scene. And we're not just sitting here and listening to someone. It also kind of helps things just move along a little bit better. It, you read, you take in all this dialogue and when it comes in with a new image, you're like, oh yeah, that's like, 
you're just swept into it. Time mm-hmm. is passing. Time is passing, yes! <laughs> and we don't have the advantage of seeing things move in real time. You can't just have two characters standing still and, like, talking robotically back and forth. The manga has to change what they're showing us to show that they're doing something. Mm-hmm. Whereas in one shot, a close-up is going to capture body language, expression, reactions, things like that. And so when the anime adapts, and then we go here, and then we go here, and then we look at the back of his head, and then we look at his profile, and then we look straight on, and then we look at Akito, and then we go back again, and then we go close again, and then we go wide again, and then we go close again, and then we back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, it completely lacks direction in a filmic sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I was going to ask if you wanted to move on to the other part of adaptation choices that we talked about, which was the internal monologues, since you didn't mention it just now. Oh, my God. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are a fuck ton of internal monologues in Fruits Basket. Please let so me know many. if I'm just going off and ranting and just not, <laughs> like... That's what please, we do on this I've... podcast. What is oh. this podcast? And I feel like it's I will not. definitely be more participatory when we stop talking about this. <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> obviously, obviously, this has all been building up in me. I'm like one of those like, <laughs> science fair volcanoes that's just like spitting out foam. And <laughs> yeah, me and Sophie like have had like episodes and episodes to bitch and moan about anything we didn't like. <laughs> You are here now, and you have to get it out all at once. So you gotta get caught up. <laughs> but yeah, actually, no, the internal monologues, that actually, I very much have thoughts on that, too. And it's, it's very, this one really breaks my heart. Because you know where, and I feel like this is a very unpopular opinion, and I feel bad even just saying this. Because this seemed like an episode that was very beloved with the fandom. But Yuki's backstory. Oh yeah? Why? It was... I would say the biggest offender of not not properly adapting internal monologue into the anime. And I'm so sad about it. (laughs) What didn't you like about it? Um... I, okay, so Yuki's backstory is probably my favorite part of the whole manga. I actually, I have that volume in both English and Japanese. Just, it's the only one I think I have also in, I think I have the first volume too. It's the only one that I have in Japanese just because I wanted all versions of it. Like I wanted to own all versions of it. Um, I feel like I reread Fruits Basket like once every two years, three years or something like that. And every single time I get to Yuki's backstory, I lose it. I just ball and cry and it's something about it really tugs at me and it just breaks my heart and the problem is is that an internal monologue in manga is something that's very effective i think it's very effective to because that's also the language that we're processing information anyway you know we're getting speech bubbles between the characters regardless this isn't a novel we don't get any information from anyone but the characters. So, and because they can't move, because they're standing still, because we only get subtleties in the forms of, you know, still moments and various panels that kind of piece things together, um, we have to get all our information 
in this way. We have to have the context of Yuki telling us his story. And of course, he's also telling Kakadu. So we need that. It's, it's a nice kind of tie-in of like, I am telling you this story. I'm letting you in. I'm letting you see into my soul. Um, and hearing him spell it out is something that's very powerful at volume 15 when he's been very cagey about the information regarding himself. Um, but the problem is, is that we don't really process narration and internal like monologues and things like that in the same way when we're watching it. Um, I mean, it's kind of like if you would take your favorite dramatic film and then have the main character be talking over the whole thing and saying what it is that is going on in every single frame or in every single moment. The beauty of film or animation or anime, any kind of film medium like that, moving medium like that, is that we have the capabilities to show certain things that do not need to be monologued. We, it's always gonna be more powerful for us to see things happening and to be shown these things than to be told them. Not to sound like a ninth grade English teacher, but that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. So it, it really bothered me when we're going through this whole episode and at every kind of emotional turn, Yuki cuts in and is like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's like, I know, I'm watch. give me a second. <laughs> and then it's almost like the internal monologue sometimes takes over and is relied on more than the actual visuals of it. I timed how long we spent with Yuki's friends, and it was a minute and 30 seconds. Exactly. It was a minute and 30 seconds. And because he's talking about it the whole time, it feels like back in like episode two or three where he's telling Toru about his friends. That was the original intrigue. This is supposed to be the answer. Why are we being told almost word for word the exact same thing we were told last season mm -hmm. as an introduction? This is supposed to be fleshing it out. It would be a lot more effective of instead of, I finally was someone's friend. I finally got to be with people. I finally got, to... we know. You got to trust your audience. If you show us that he's alone, that he doesn't have, that Akito is this terrible influence that's just giving him these rotted, rotted words. His mother has abandoned him. His family has abandoned him. We know Ayame has abandoned him. And now, with all this context, we lead up and we just get to see him interacting with his friends. Just get to see him interacting with people he cares about and people he loves that's going to be a thousand times more powerful than Yuki talking over the whole thing. And instead of and him talking, and then because they need to match that and they can't have dialogue on top of that, it's going to be still shots. It's, it's, it's like it's carbon copying the manga. We see still shots from the manga going, doing their weird like zoom up, pan up <laughs> thing that anime always likes to do. <laughs> yeah. That's not, it's just not as effective. It's not using all the tools in your toolbox to tell a story. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way because like, because it was exactly like the manga, I think, but I, that's a really good point. But I also think it does speak to just in general that Ibata does not trust the audience at all. Yeah. Oh my God. 
the <laughs> amount I, I would like him to let go of my hand. Please. Oh go. god, please. I don't want to hold sweaty, sweaty hand anymore. <laughs> I always think about it's like this scene in I don't remember numbers ever, but where it's like Toru and Kyo are sort of aware of each other's feelings, but like don't they can't say it and it's like we I won't even say it and then it's them facing away and there's this like weird jagged line in between them and I was like, What is that? That's because I remember in the that's manga, an exact shot from the manga. Like, this, like, split panel was, like, mm-hmm. okay, this is, like, a good way to visually show this in the medium of a comic, but then just putting this weird, jagged, like, Doctor Who split in reality-like thing in it was, like, no, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> I'm, like, it drives me crazy, because this is, I actually, this is something that I wrote it was word for word because I just I have it on here in my notes trust in audience in big capital letters and I, I, I wrote it was just we either have to fight for the information or that because we're not trusted with it or we're we're not trusted to the fact that it has to be shown to us like a thousand times over and like beaten to our heads and it drives me that happened with the hat Sorry, but it did. We saw the hat a lot. <laughs> it mm-hmm. happened with no, that agreed. moment with that happened with that moment with Kyo and Toru at the end of Sword of Cinderella. It happened with um Oh my gosh, I just watched the finale and when um Shigure <sighs> is talking about um Kureno, he says like three times, I don't know what it is in English, but it must be something similar because in the sub it was like could it be? Could it be? Like, he ended his conversation with Hattori. Hey, about Kareno, do you think that it's possible? Dot, dot, dot. And then he was on the phone with Kareno and was like, hey, is it possible that you are? Dot, dot, dot. And then it goes and it moves to Toru going to meet Kareno. And we hear a flashback of Shigure saying the exact same thing of, is it possible that? Dot. We get it. Something's yeah. up. We got it. Like, you can relax a little bit. That was something that Amelia and I talked about a lot. Like, really? Kareno. Yeah, just, yeah. like, the amount of times that they, like, allude to it. And it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. So I Something's it, going like, on the Kareno, but you don't have to keep saying it. And it's multiple episodes, too. Yeah, it took all the punch out of the reveal. I'm not a huge fan of, like, all the weird, like, chord shots of the chords breaking. I don't like them. No. So. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not a big fan of those. No. It's like not the worst thing, but also it's like and also it's like it was used a lot of the times that I think at moments that were just like really heavy handed. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. like there was times where I was like, this kinda works. It's weird because this has never happened up until now, so it's like <laughs> doesn't feel like a normal part of like the visual language right. of this show. But like I think I remember like the scene with Kyo and Akicho, I think there was some chords, and I was like, this is kind of interesting. Weird. I don't think this belongs here exactly, but it's like, I don't know, you're doing something. But then I think when we saw it in regards to, like, Kareno, where they just, like, were basically spoiling it for us, <laughs> I was just like, please. Please, like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> there's just, there's enough foreshadowing, like, in the script that you don't need it. I know, it's so funny that how this anime has, like, when they do take creative liberty with the symbolism, for such a subtle story, 
it gets yeah. so heavy-handed. Yeah. That's why I like the doors. Yeah. Because I feel like they're not heavy-handed. Mm. The and at least, and also the thing with the doors is that, like, because they're already part of the environment, as opposed to, like, the ropes yeah. where you're, like, superimposing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sad that, like, we get, like, weird magic cords instead of, like, all of the bird red hair. I miss the Akito. feathers. I miss, I miss the feathers. Yeah. I miss the birds. Because it was fun. Because it's, like, because that was all through the manga, which was fun. Because it's, like, making you think Akito is the rooster. Um, so that's, mm-hmm. like, the fun red herring aspect of it. And then when you move on and realize that, like, oh, Kareno's the rooster, you look back and you're like, oh, that actually had an entirely different meaning that I thought was something else. Which was, like, I think, like, really well done in the manga and was, like, a fun little piece of visual symbolism that ran through a, basically a huge chunk of it. And then they nixed that and had some birds in, like, the Kareno episode. <laughs> and I was like... <sighs> yeah, you're, you've missed you've missed out on the original birds, which were good. <laughs> yeah, they were some fat yeah, ass fa- um, sparrows, though. I did like the fat ass sparrows. <laughs> the fat ass sparrows were, were good. Though they left behind those CGI feathers, and I don't think I really care for those. <laughs> I didn't. Neither either. did Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie didn't see them, but I was like, why are these feathers notice. CGI? They like don't blend in with <laughs> anything else. <laughs> Uh, some odd choices were being made very very strange choices have definitely been made I feel like I came in I remember being like I don't want to sound too mean on this podcast and I don't want to come across um like I like I hated everything and I feel like I was like all right so point one listen I (laughs) just tearing it apart no but it's good like I liked your unpopular opinion like I actually think it's a really good point but I hadn't thought about it before yeah like, mm. it's interesting because, like, there are moments where, like, I can tell that they literally ripped, like, this directly out of the manga. And I like it because it's, like, they perfectly replicate some character's facial expression because Takai is good mm-hmm. at doing facial expressions. And I feel like in the anime, we sometimes lose a lot of the subtlety in them. And every now and then I see one, like, replicated perfectly. And I'm like, this is, this was something that was missing for me in, like, the way that the art style got adapted because... They did, one of something we talked about way earlier in the podcast was just, like, I think you lose a lot of the kind of originality and creativity in Takaya's personal style for this kind of standard boilerplate shoujo art style that is, like, not offensive to look at, but also boring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It almost seems like Takaya has such a strong style, both, like, visually and how she tells her story and... Like, I agree, there are certain moments where I set aside the hate in my heart because I see an expression that is exactly from the manga that I remember with crystal clarity. And it's very refreshing and lovely to see it happening in real time. I think the the issue that I have, though, with it is that it's like, I wish that there had been kind of more of a motivation to get to those panels. It almost seems like with, because it is like boilerplate shoujo manga or shoujo anime kind of a style, it's like they're trying to connect the dots to those iconic moments rather than like directing it into something that has its own style. Like if you're gonna adapt something this stylistic, 
maybe just go balls to the wall and get a director who's Mm -hmm. gonna have that style, you know, who's gonna make it something different and maybe a little weird and maybe something not a total carbon copy, but is going to do justice to the fact that maybe this is, you know, on the outside, kind of your standard shoujo manga, but when you really get into it, it's just not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wish I had, like, been saying this from, like, literally the moment the show started airing is that I wish that they had picked a more experimental art style. Like, I wish they had gone, like, Mob Psycho with it or something because, like, (gasps) it would have been so fucking sick, (sighs) right? If they had, like, actually been, like, very experimental and, like, looser because, like, one of the things, one of the issues I have with the art in this anime, I feel like it's really stiff, um, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm thinking of something like Mob Psycho. Um, like, it would have been really cool to see, like, an experiment, more experimental adaptation of, like, the art in Fruits Basket, which is already so, like, beautiful. Um, right. I, I hugely agree. Um, I would rather lose some, like, of Takaya's, like, art style and in favor of just, like, you know, we're gonna tell the story and just, like, choose something that's true in feeling instead of, Mm. like, visual like trying to perfectly visually match it which is yeah like i feel like every now and then you get this perfect visual match and you're like that was cool but then all the in-between moments are kind of like "Eh." yeah Mm -hmm. yeah (sighs) and i I wish that they kind of had played to had i just wish that this anime too had understood its weakness a little bit i feel like there was this mentality of like we could never be as bad as a one you know the (laughs) we could never (laughs) screw it up that bad um but what people don't like i'm sorry but i i don't i like a one i'm sorry i do it's i think it's great um i think it's fun it's really nostalgic for me and i i one of the things that i really like about a one and in particular studio dean that i think does this a lot is that they really play they know how to hide their weaknesses they're very good at taking their very very tiny little budgets and turning it into something very enjoyable to watch so with like a one they're very bad with like um, backgrounds and they're really bad with wide shots and they're really bad with like you know you can't look at certain animation for too long because it'll probably start to go a little wonky like I remember I just watched episode 8 today um, and the like big complaint that I had about it was that like they so didn't know how to like draw buildings that when Momiji is introducing Soma House he, like one of the shots is just like a roof panning up on and that's it but like i really said so like yeah 2019 has like better animation if you compare it to like early 2000s studio dean animation sure but they're not very good at like playing to their strengths Mm -hmm. and hiding their weaknesses in the same way that oh one was like oh one was like we know we know what we got like and we're just gonna work around it and 2019 was like, look how pretty it is. We're going to put it all in wide shots. And then we're going to take all the characters. And we're going to have them face away from the camera. And then we're going to have them deliver all their lines from there. And it's going to be great because it's not a one. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not how this works. <laughs> yeah. I I miss like the the color palette of O1. So I feel like Me it too. was like, like, obviously O1 has issues. But um, I do have a lot of fondness for it. And I think that like, I do think the style, I like, I miss A, how it wasn't shiny. I'm sorry, mm, I don't like, yes. I don't like the shininess. People shouldn't look metallic. That's just my, that's just my personal taste. Um, and I liked, 
I liked like the flatter cell shading and I liked the color palette. Mm-hmm. Like it, it felt a lot more like visually cohesive when I looked at it instead of like when I watch this where it's like you get these like very highly rendered backgrounds where it's like, look at what we can do. Look at these beautiful yeah. things. And then you have these like really boilerplate looking shiny anime characters over it. And I'm like, I don't know if I this isn't exactly for me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I mean, that, that kind of coloring, too, also flattens the shots, you know? And if you're not going to get closer, if we're not going to have our eye drawn to a certain part of the frame, you know, in terms of how it's framed up in the first place, we need color to at least tell us where to look. And sometimes it goes... And I mean, I think this is probably goes into lighting. Um, I was going to ask you to talk about lighting design. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I, th- I think that is... I think that's an issue, is that it's just the colors... Even though they're vibrant, they're kind of flat. Oh my gosh, it's like a metaphor. It's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, I was actually going to ask you, because right before we started recording, I was talking about the lighting design to um, my friend who's also a stage manager. And I I think that one of the biggest weaknesses of the lighting design in the show is that it's flat. But I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if that was me coming from a theatrical perspective, where in theater, the lighting has to be very, like, uh, it has to have a lot of dimension to it because you have to differentiate the stage from the audience and like upstage and downstage and the wings. Um, so I didn't, I wanted to ask your opinion on it because like I'm coming from like a, a, a medium where we're not working in a, in a vacuum. Like we have to work with what mm-hmm. we have in real life. Yeah. I, I mean, I will definitely say that lighting was my worst subject in film school. Um, <laughs> it was like the math of film t- for me. Cinematography in general <laughs> is the math of film to me. And somehow I scammed my way into talking about cinematography on your podcast. Um, but <laughs> there, but the one thing with film and lighting is I remember this from my cinematography teacher just drilling it into us is that you cannot make your lighting flat. Like, mm-hmm. that is the, the worst thing that you can do in a scene, is make your lighting flat. You need to use lighting to b- draw focus and to complement your actors and, you know, use it to your advantage. Use it to the atmosphere. Use it to the feel. And that's kind of an issue, is that I, I feel like there's not really... That, I mean, it's different in anime, you know? You're not going to mm-hmm. get the same lighting setups that you do right. in real life on the stage, on camera. With anime, it's going to be, obviously, it's going to be a little bit different, but that's where I think style really, really comes in. And that's like, you know, with O1, with the color palette, it's not something that everyone likes, but it was a style, and it maintained that style throughout the whole thing, and it maintained that vibe and that atmosphere. And the problem with 2019 sometimes... I feel like I'm saying that so much. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but the problem with it is that it gets... The colors are, become so flat. The lighting becomes so flat. And they only have, like, three different settings that they mm. work with. They got day, sunset, night. That's it. And they never really, you know, use those things to their advantage. I mm-hmm. wish that they did. Yeah. You know? Try and get, kind of make it feel a little bit real. Yeah. I think like, so I am, I've, I've taken like art classes and I've made comics myself. Mm. Um, but 
like as like an amateur as like a teenager um but i think what i like about what makes o one less even though it's honestly like there's less a lot of the times there's less shading or whatever um it's like technically in some ways more flat but it's more visually dynamic and easier to process as the viewer because it uses a much more restricted color palette oh Mm -hmm. uh the current one i feel like they're just like they color to realism to a certain degree and maybe they color code certain characters but they don't try and maintain like a cohesive color palette for an entire scene so like all of the char- like all of the characters might have their own personal color palette, but then you put them all in the same scene and it's really incoherent. Um, mm-hmm. Versus where I think they chose uh, in 01, they were like, okay, everyone has like Kyo is red and Yuki is like cool muted colors and Toru is like also like muted blues generally, but different. Uh, and mm-hmm. but they also gave everyone kind of a muted look. Uh, and I think, I mean, I don't, I would have, I haven't seen O1 in years, so I wouldn't be able to tell if they, like, repeat using, like, colors they use on the characters in the background to give it, like, overall a mo- more cohesive look, so it's, like, easier to, like, look at. I don't know, it's like, it, your eye doesn't go everywhere. It's also, like, I think having, honestly, worse, like, having really de- highly rendered backgrounds in scenes where, um the background isn't the focus isn't bad i don't like it Mm -hmm. um like in because you're translating this manga right and when you're having these moments where characters are the focus they drop the background a lot of the times if you're making a comic and you want to just get really in the character's head and just put all the focus on what's happening in either this character's head or maybe like an interaction between two characters is you drop the background and takaya does this all the time uh, but then you get these scenes when you adapt it to um, the anime where you can't drop the background, or you can, but it's like, I find that they only drop the background in comedic moments, and they put, like, whatever, you get shoujo bubbles. They drop the background, mm-hmm. you get shoujo bubbles, which isn't, which doesn't work for everything, so they only use it in comedic moments and romantic moments, but never in, like, really intense, in Yuki's head, internal monologue. Yeah. So then you are having this intense moment where you're supposed to be really up in this character's head, but then there's the whole highly rendered background that takes your eye away from that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like they've become a little bit rigid too, like with that that would be a very cool stylistic thing to see. Anime is not standard filmmaking either. Anime is its own kind of uh it's 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 got its own structure and its own formula when it comes to lighting and cinematography and anything like that too and i that was something that i even tried to research a little bit more today or at least kind of kind of learn a little bit more about today to try and figure out the differences between like anime and film when it comes to take filming things and working things out and storyboarding things and with anime it's just there is a lot of freedom to copy the manga in those moments <laughs> ironically enough, and to kind of drop backgrounds, have moments that are just completely stylistic, take your take you away from the realism. We're not watching anime for the realism, my God. You know? <laughs> and th- that is something that I wish that they would do too, you know, is get the emotion down. Forget the backgrounds for a second. I, I don't need to see all this, you know? Show me, show me the face, show me what's happening, show me what's going on in their head. And you can do that. 
you 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 are animating this. There is literally mm-hmm. nothing that you cannot do. Well, you're making me think of like Evangelion, which like is at times like hyper realistic, but also yeah. they do that thing where they drop everything and you're just with the character. Like I'm thinking of um, you've seen it, right, Adri? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a bit. Like in but, yeah. like in like I'm thinking of like in Hedgehog's Dilemma. They do it a lot where they just like mm-hmm. drop everything behind Shinji and you're just looking at his face with like I don't know like a color grading on it or something and it's like really effective that you're just with him um and then we go back to he's in a field and it looks super real yeah. and, and it, I mean he's panicking all the time so it's hard not to panic when all you have to do is look at him <laughs> yeah but like I like I feel like Shinji is a good example because I think that like Shinji yeah. and Yuki are similar and they get in their heads in a very similar way but we also like don't get a whole lot of Shinji internal monologuing we're just looking at him and feeling it with him exactly so it, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of emphasis in Eva which is nice you know they mm-hmm. know exactly what they want you to look at and I mean that's also yes. a very you know character-driven, psychologically-driven narrative, too. And that's mm-hmm. a great example of aesthetics going balls to the wall. <laughs> like, but that's why I always compare Ava to Fruits Basket, because, like, I do find them very similar. And I think that a style mm-hmm. like... I don't, like... Fruits Basket directed by Anna would be fucking ballistic. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know what? I'll take like, it at this point. <laughs> but, like, something similar, like a similar kind of experimental approach to it would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think about Fruits Basket directed by Ikuhara a lot. I, who is that? Oh, is that the Utena guy? Yeah, he did Utena and Sailor Moon. He did Memorial oh, Drum. He I did Sailor um, Moon. <laughs> he did some two very strange ones that just uh, that are a little more recent, which is um, Yurikuma Arashi and then Sarazanmai, which was incredible. But oh my gosh, please go into that blind. I Okay, this is just a call to action. Please watch Sarazanmai if you haven't. <laughs> And do not look up anything about it. Just go into it and just trust and just let yourself be drawn into the absurdity of all of it. Um, that I think that would be hilarious. Though he is a, a frequent, uh, what did you say? He he does the uh, the shiny anime looks a lot, which I, I don't really I like. I hate it. it. Can't, can't stand those shiny elbows in anime. <laughs> their hair metallic. Why is their hair foily? Hair doesn't look like that. It's, yeah, it works when you're drawing and it's like, okay, we're leaving parts of the hair white because this is how you draw, but it doesn't always translate. It's like, I don't know, because I don't like how, I don't always like how they take fairly simply rendered things in mangas and then make them like really gloriously rendered in anime and all of a sudden the shading is super like shiny and complex when originally it was like cell shading or cross hatching jakaya does a lot of really cool stuff with patterns um in shading and gives her work a lot of texture and depth um and that's something about her style that always stuck out to me a lot and i would love to see an adaptation where instead of being like shiny boilerplate anime they this is gonna be a weird comparison but have either of you seen chowder (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean i know what it looks I like i have seen clips that was not at all where i was expecting this to go. <laughs> i watched chowder as a kid but they gave characters these like 
unmoving like patterns on their clothing and stuff. Oh, but, yeah, like, I know what you're talking about. Um, oh, and I think that would yeah. honestly work really well for Fruits Basket That'd and Chikaya's cool. style. And I yeah. think it would be really re- cool looking. Um, I remember an anime that did that too a while ago. It was based off... Um, oh, I'm going to come off looking so dumb. Um, what's the book with Dante and the nine levels of hell? Or Dante's Inferno? It? Dante's Inferno. I'm so sorry. Yes, Dante's <laughs> Inferno. I'm pretty sure there was an anime adaptation of Dante's Inferno. Um, and they did that with the, like, they moved, but the patterns on the shirts and stuff didn't. And yeah. that's all I remember from that anime and from that book, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> they, do it in, in, they do it in Mob Psycho every once in a while. Yeah. Not all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, the part, that one storyboarded, they did. Yeah. Um, I wish it had texture. Yeah. Yes. No, it's just so shiny. But actually, speaking of texture, I thought that, like, okay, this is going to be such a theater word, and I'm going to have to explain it. Lay it on me, please. <laughs> Sometimes in Fruits Basket, and I really like when they do this, they use, in theater, we call them gobos. And they're these, like, metal plates that have, like, a pattern on it. And you put it in front of the bulb. And so it projects mm. it projects a texture onto the stage. So, like, I'm thinking specifically in there's, like, a shot of Akito where they have, like, a dappled tree gobo, I don't know, effect on them. Like, when they do stuff like that in Fruits Basket, like, it looks fucking good. But they don't mm-hmm. do it that often. No. Yeah. <sighs> I wish... Um, but I also like there's one other thing that I think that they like it looks great every time is when there's there's one I think their dark scenes look way better than their bright scenes and also mm-hmm. when there's only one light source in a dark scene so like for instance like Kurano's computer um, or uh, I where there's like because <laughs> he's always he always be clacking um or the or like if someone i know he's such a loser um when they're standing outside and there's light is standing outside at night and there's a light spilling out from inside yes like i agree that stuff looks good but like that stuff that like like actually gives the scene dimension it forces their hand into their being like something other than ambient light (laughs) yeah yeah i agree um but i wish they did it more yeah because, like, this, every scene with Karina's computer looks good. Yeah, I agree. I do like those. But I, I will say the one thing that they sometimes make a habit of in their darker scenes, and it drives me bonkers, and this is a general anime pet peeve. This is not even... This is just me. I don't like it when they do that shadow thing that is that hard line across the, like, yeah, eyes and no, nose. I don't like... And I know exactly what you're talking so about. much. Yeah, it looks like a Zorro mask with a shadow. <laughs> and it makes it so hard to tell like I don't know what it is but it's like this is not conveying what you think it's conveying like this is not the serious vibe that you are wanting right now but they do it on so yeah and like I think they did it when like Kurino's curse they do it with Kurino well they do it when when um when Akito's like do you want to meet Toru and they're sitting in that dark room with just his laptop and it like goes to his face and it's that i know exactly what you're fucking talking I about hate it. but the the shadow it. doesn't actually make any sense because he's sitting in front right. of the computer screen so it should be just like his entire face is lit right yeah <laughs> it's just a weird yeah. anime thing that for some reason they decided to take their anime liberties there 
why mm-hmm. it's, it's just how, it's like a weird part you? of the visual language of anime that you see pretty across the board yeah and it, it ain't how shadows work but okay but all right <laughs> right oh gosh Oh, I have one little other little mini gripe. This uh, goes back to adaptation. I'm just going to say it real uh-huh. quick because I yeah. also just recently watched Rin's backstory in regards to like the weird anime shadows or something like that. In the manga, in Rin's backstory, we never really see her parents. We just see those like faded out faces. Mm-hmm. The way that they maintained that in the anime was so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't love it. They like I Rin. Girl, if I were you, I would be screaming my head off and I would be going the opposite direction because that is something out of the Twilight Zone. And it never <laughs> changed. They go, to the, they go to the hospital and they're like walking around and they're the only ones without faces. It's like, why are you, why is this the hill you're choosing to die on with the adaptation? Oh, sorry. I just had to point that out too. It was relevant to the weird, weird shadows stuff, but yeah no i didn't make a note of it but i also didn't love it they could have just like i don't know cut their faces off with the uh yeah with the frame or speak the frame thank you (laughs) yeah cut them out of the frame or just giving them a face yeah i agree there's other ways to do that this did not have to Mm -hmm. be that way (laughs) all right let's talk about cinematography yeah and i mean i think that i i talked about a lot of cinematography when i talked about adaptation stuff but Mm-hmm. Um, it is very yeah the choices that are made in terms of the cinematography a lot of the times are the ones that really end up being the ones that bother me and they're always the ones that are just carbon copied right from the manga um, mm-hmm. well not all of them they come up with their own creative ways for me to not like their cinematography too <laughs> um, good for you Ibata. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, this, the, the cinematography is something, I think what it really speaks to, cause I kind of talked more specifically about the kind of difference in the adaptations or the difference between the manga and anime when it comes to how you frame your shot and things like that. I think what it just really comes down to kind of as like an overall is that it just shows how green Ibata is in my opinion. Like the cinematographer, Nozomi Chitara, who was the cinematographer for the first season and then the first half of the second season, and then it changed to Baikrun Chai. So I can't say that name. I'm so sorry. But it's been those two directors of photography the whole time. And it it's so important that when you are a director that you maintain control over your style and over what you're trying to do and over your department heads. Your department heads are there to help you create and realize the vision. Um, But when you're a very inexperienced director, which Ibotta is, uh, you're not going to know how to use your department heads. And I think that's really what it ended up kind of being, Um, which is which is really a bummer because it, it makes it very hard for me to immerse myself into most scenes. Uh, it makes it very hard for me to like turn off my brain and be like, okay, but I'm just going to like enjoy this and enjoy this story because cinematography, that's part of the story. That's part of telling the story. You know, it's, that's how we, that's how a lot of film is conveyed is through what we see and what we observe in those subtleties. Um, and 
that's been I mean and cinematography includes of course um, shot uh, composition it includes lighting um, like we talked about um, shot order which I also kind of talked about when you kind of go in out in out in out all the time and follow how it is in the manga it's just going to be strange um, and it also covers blocking I think that's mm-hmm. kind of like my last thing on my cinematography list and, and then we can rip the sound editing open but I um, <laughs> The blocking has been really driving me nuts with mm-hmm. like a lot of these shots. Um, and it it's because there's like this tendency in the cinematography to, I know I say like to not get close. And when I say that, that doesn't just necessarily mean we're in a wide shot or we're not in a close up or something along those lines. The problem is, is that a lot of the focus of a lot of these frames is to someone who's not giving us information or to someone who we shouldn't be focusing on. So you will get a lot of frames um, in Fruits Basket where say we're focusing on Yuki, like it's Yuki's scene, it's his point of view. We want to know what he is talking about. So we'll see a medium shot of him, but then he's further away. And then we have someone closer to the camera who has their back turned to us. Mm -hmm. If I did that, in, in film school, my directing teacher would tear me to bits. <laughs> and it, there is such a thing as like an over-the-shoulder shot, but the shoulder should not like be the dominant point of the frame. Yeah. That should just never be the case. And this happens a lot too. Like if you take the wide shots too, when I say that, like, again, we're just not close enough to the characters, it's because clearly what you want me to look at are the characters' expressions. So then why are they on the opposite side of the room in a wide shot? And why are we, like, why is why are Kyo and Toru out in the kitchen looking at us and clearly the focus of the scene, and yet we're all the way in the living room looking at Shigure and Yuki's back? Mm-hmm. Well, this happens all the time. <laughs> and it makes me upset because... <laughs> It's like this wide might be good if we were getting a little bit more dy- like uh, more something more dynamic happening between all four of them, you know, if they were moving in a way that was prompted or motivated or something like that. But clearly what you want me to see is what is furthest away from the camera. Happens all the time. Um this happens too in um so when Yuki goes in to the storage closet and spills the paint mm-hmm. in the student council room. There's a moment where I think it's it's Machi and Kakadu and Kimmy. I think now is there too. I don't know. It's all <laughs> it's the whole the gang's all here, and they're going to the storage room and they're trying to look in. The important part of this is that Yuki is experiencing something that's very like anxiety inducing, and we're about to flash back into something that's very important, and we should be staying with him, even if, even if he's. It just even if we're seeing this seeing people from his point of view, you know, even if we're just like seeing his arm or his eyes or his expression or something like that, we need to just be staying with him because he is the person who is giving us new information in the scene. And then we go to a wide shot where they're all surrounding the entrance of the storage room after Machi's like kicked it down with the with the chair. Every single person's back is to the camera in a wide. <laughs> And they're talking for a while. I can't wrap my mind around this. And it happens all the time. 
And it, that to me is something that has been a big error in the cinematography. That to me is like, this is bad to the point where it's weird. Like, I think I've said that on Twitter and on Tumblr before where it's like, I just don't understand. I can't wrap my head around this because this is just not something that you do. Mm -hmm. it, because it's not even really a stylistic choice. I mean, yeah, you can have someone turn their back and kind of obscure their face and something like that because we're trying to build up a mystery. We don't know who it is in the scene. Like, or we don't know who... You know, we don't know what's going on with them yet. Maybe they need to hide their emotions or something. Or, you know, it's it's going to be a reveal of how they feel. But the problem is, is that they treat almost every single emotion that the characters have as if it's a reveal. As if we're not allowed to know what it is until it happens. Like, I feel like we didn't really get a moment where we see Yuki's anxiety until he's throwing up. Mm -hmm. Because we're uh, wasting yeah. time on shots that don't give us information. Yeah. It happens with a lot of the scenes. Um, and that, yeah, that to me is a big failing on the cinema. You can say everything else's style. You can say, you can kind of chalk everything up to, you can forgive other things too. And hey, I am like, I don't, I don't know everything either. Like, just because I'm like, just because I rant about it doesn't mean that I'm right about it. <laughs> but this, this is just very bizarre to me. Uh, I hadn't noticed that, but in theater, that's called upstaging yourself, and you're never supposed to do it. Exactly. <laughs> you can't turn your back to the audience. You can't turn your back to the audience unless, right, unless, like, what you're saying, it's for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you never do. You always have to cheat out. Yeah. No, you can't, you can't do it. That's the same thing in the, in, with, um, with film, too. A lot of times they'll be like, cheat a little, like cheat your body a little so that we can see more of you. Don't show us, don't show us the back of your head. Right. Don't show it. Don't show us your back. Don't show us this, your face here. I'm pointing at it. You can't see, but you're pointing at it. Well, the audience can't see. You guys can <laughs> see me going crazy. But I, this is, this is where all the information is. This is the expression that this, these are the subtleties of film. Yeah. Reaction shots, dialogue, everything. All of that is stored in the face and stored in the emotion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, that's interesting. I, I like definitely like will pay attention to that when I rewatch. I hadn't noticed though. Um, but I don't have a degree in film. <laughs> I <will>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, do you want to dunk on the sound design? I'm, Can I'm I say my theory? Can I say yes. my theory? This is my theory. I have no basis for this. I don't know when the show is in production. Um, but we are currently in the coronavirus pandemic. And so my theory is that they're mixing at home. And that's why everything is so uh. fucking loud. <laughs> I, like, it, I, I don't know why it's so loud. And I don't remember thinking that in season one. I remember not liking the soundtrack very much in season one. But in season two, yeah. I'm like, I can't even hear the actors. This is so loud. But the, like, sound effects are not as loud as the tracks. Yeah, when there are some. I feel like I never even noticed the sound effects. Yeah. Oh, God. It's... I mean, <laughs> exactly. No, there's, like, very few. There's sound effects? Sometimes there's, like, ambient noise outside, and I do take note of it because I'm like, finally, no music. <laughs> um, but even, like, the, like, the sound effect, the, I think it's, like, a gong or something in the finale when Akito's, like, walking down the hallway all dr dramatic. 
um could have mm. that could have been really loud and it would have yeah. been cool but it was quiet <laughs> like yeah. why so that's my theory on the sound design it's covid for the sake of this production house i really hope you're right because if not that <laughs> that is that is but did you for that. did you feel like it was this bad in season one no, and you know what? I just went back because I was thinking to myself, I was like, I was trying to think of episodes that I did enjoy mm-hmm. and that I thought adapted, especially um, dramatic moments um, better than in season two. Well, just in general that I liked and season two, I kind of tapped out, but I went back today and I watched uh, Uo's episode, the second part. And I remember th- thinking that it was like the sound editing was so much more subtle and gentle Mm -hmm. and a lot more supportive of the atmosphere and what was happening so i i I think there must be something going on covid wise that's causing such a weird mix of the music which really i mean especially the music the sound effects too but really with the music because they really need to learn to turn that down because if they keep blasting it like this it's just it's going to become very apparent that they don't even know what they're doing with the score. So I... my other theory is that Ibata is hard of hearing. That's like not to like, I've had to work with directors who are hard of hearing and they're like, turn it louder. And you're like, it is so loud, but they like won't admit that they're hard of hearing. That's my other theory that Ibata's losing his hearing. Oh my God. <laughs> I am. Um... But then the, but the answer to that is that when the director walks away, you fucking change it. <laughs> yeah oh yeah absolutely sometimes you have to save the director from themselves and i think every single editor in the world would agree with that sentiment you know you slap the sound designer and you're like turn it down like, yeah exactly i mean that's like <laughs> that reminds me i mean that reminds me of you know back when i mean if a couple decades ago when like, at least in Hollywood there was like a more cohesive relationship or a more mutual relationship between directors and their editors which doesn't really mm-hmm. exist as much today and um, the director needs someone who's gonna fight him mm-hmm. yeah, yeah like, of course no matter who you are you need someone who's gonna look you in the eye and go your decisions are shit and <laughs> here's why and I'm going to make it better for you and d- You'd hope that sound editing would at least kind of portray that in the anime, but it's just not happening. I guess we'll see in season three when hopefully there won't be a coronavirus pandemic and they can go back to the studio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they'd be partying in Japan, according to my Instagram stories, so hopefully. Lucky lucky them. (laughs) I know, I'm very jealous. Um. (laughs) <laughs> there was one moment where I was like, "There, this is actually good sound design and that I liked. That was um, in 219, uh, Toru's Dream. Uh, and I talked about it like in that episode too, where they like broke up the, um, the track so that it was like rapidly going back and forth from um, either channel. Um, and that I really liked. But that was like one of the oh. only times where I noted that like they made an interesting sound design choice. I did not even notice that. Yeah, it's at the very end of the of her dream. Not that her dream's like thirty seconds long, but <laughs> Oh right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I do remember I thought that that was done pretty well. Yeah. 
that I liked it. It was very, like, anxiety-inducing, which I thought, like, you know, yeah. was what they were trying to get across. And then um, you hear the door open, but you don't hear it close. You just hear Toru's gasp instead, which I liked as well. Mm. Uh, but that was really one of the only moments where I was like, oh, I really like the sound design choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I feel like it, it's becoming almost a scavenger hunt where it's like when they do something right, it becomes so yeah. obvious. It's like, yes, good for you. I'm so glad. I don't have anything else to say to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, apart from, I don't know, what more could I do other than personally in salty bata and like on like on a like on a very personal level <laughs> i don't think i need to do that <laughs> i don't think that'd be very no. nice i gotta leave him with something we in salty bata we've just been insulting Ibata for like 26 no. weeks we love fruits baskets so much we have so many problems with it <laughs> well i tweeted that Ibata is like my real life Kareno. your real life Kareno. <laughs> so many that's so sad but i mean i don't know it is i will say that it's been very tough for me to kind of conventionally enjoy uh the anime because i just can't i can't turn my brain Mm. off to these things once i notice them but i will also say that it has been very fun to really analyze it and figure out what it is that I didn't like. Sometimes you learn a lot more from things that you don't like than things that you do like. And it's mm-hmm. it's very, I don't know, it's almost helpful and useful as someone in the industry trying to like, you know, who, you know, one day eventually I'd love to be able to make my own projects. And it's good to know what to avoid, what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's not what the anime is going for, but I, it, it's it's been very fun in that sense to take it apart. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I feel like, I mean, even in like my real life, (laughs) like, I feel like I've learned my best stage management from stage managers who treated me like shit. And I'm like, I'm never doing that. You know? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You learn from the people that you don't want to (laughs) be. Yeah, I think it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's easier to like, learn from things you don't like because you're like what the fuck is wrong with this and then you break it apart and you're like i've identified what's wrong with it but i feel like when you really enjoy something you just get completely swept up in the magic of it and your brain is just like oh wow (laughs) and you're a little less inclined to go and sit with it and be like okay but why did it make me feel like that yeah Um, which is something i'm trying to like train myself to do lately when i've been like working on more of my own original projects um is like i keep lists of like romances I think work really well and then I figure out all the beats of that and I'm like okay like how did this move as a story or one something I did for one project that I work on is I thought of all the big ensemble casts with like fun dynamics and I wrote them all down and I identified all the archetypes in it and I'm like what makes this work um and I think it's like I'm less inclined to do that for things I enjoy, but I've been trying to do that more because it is, it's a, it's a valuable learning skill tool to just like look at something and then see what makes it tick. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, should I take us out? 
Yeah, take uh, a sec, Also, Sophie. we're going on a brief hiatus, but we'll be back. We'll announce a date at some point, um, but we'll be back this fall. Um, yeah. Hopefully before the election so we can cope. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that's, that's not that much time. <laughs> this podcast is a coping mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you, Adri, for coming on. This was fucking awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Um, cool. So thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Like I said, we'll be back and we will announce a date. And until then, we'll see you next time. <laughs>